listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. Here, these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition. Now, if you don't want to be different than your competition, probably should just go ahead and shut this off. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Like when we audit the mod and get and do the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk. This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production redefined. Reasonable and what wasn't. And and I think that you know, that's, that's spot on. And, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered. So I, I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do. Are you ready to feel the power? All right, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, Shop Talk, Episode 4. I'm going to call this one War Stories. With Oliver all, North? <laughs> with somebody. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think everybody out there, if you've been a road warrior in sales, has had at least one good war story. But before we get into that, man, listen, I'm not going to open this up for a political debate. I could care less what anybody out there thinks about Chick-fil-A's on politics or religion. But if you don't like the Lord's Chicken, oh I, you have a problem, A. And B, I went through a drive through at one of their competitors and was just blown away at the crap service that I got. Dude, like, Chick-fil-A is so far superior and so efficient that it just isn't even – there's nothing that compares. And I would take a bath right now in Polynesian sauce. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> my whole thing is this. Like – I was in the very short period of time that I was in line, I was analyzing like, why do people suck so bad that work at the drive-thru in any restaurant when Chick-fil-A clearly defines exactly how every single drive-thru should be run. Like, why isn't Chick-fil-A running COVID testing? No kidding, man. They are a well-oiled machine and they could pump out easily 10,000 tests in an afternoon. (laughs) I will. It's. I, I've told my oldest son before. That is the only establishment that if I drive by and they are wrapped around the building three times, I will still get at that drive-through line. Ten minutes. Because I know it'll be five minutes, and I'll yeah. still be out. It's. I mean, there's not. I've not been by a Chick-fil-A at lunchtime where it hasn't been double wrapped around the building, and it's it, it's crazy, like spilling out into the street, and and yet people are still turning in there, and they just crank it out, man. They uh they they know what the deal is. What blows my mind is that any of us tolerate anything less than that as the experience in drive. Well, that's I mean, that's you at Arby's and all your other nonsense that you hit up. Well, I don't know, man, but it got me to thinking about agencies, too. And yeah. I'm wondering how many people perceive agencies as operating like Chick-fil-A versus the rest. And Good, good you know, question. I, I really believe it's just a level of expectation. You know, the reason that people act stupid on a drive through microphone is – because nobody holds them to a higher standard. That's fair. It's the only thing I could come up with. So all you agency people out there, hold your people to a higher standard. Tell them 
my tell them to say it's my pleasure when somebody thanks them. Hell I mean, yeah! It's, little, it's the little things, man. Like I placed my order, they gave me the total, and I said thank you, and they say no problem. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not a problem. <laughs> no problem, bro. Yeah, you're getting paid to take my order. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, dude, wow. I don't even I don't even mess with. So I just use the Chick Fil A app now because I get mad rewards points and. I punch in my order, it saves it or whatever, and I I hit drive through on the little, you, you know, app screen, and I just pull in a drive through. I tell them my name. I have a mobile order. Roll it to the window. Done. Paid for everything. You don't even have to. I do would anything. not put that app on my phone because it would mean that I would use that app on a regular basis, <laughs> and I do not need fried chicken in my life. <laughs> Dude, they've got salads. You could salad it up. Yeah, with fried chicken on top. <laughs> so war stories. Let's see. Yeah. I've, I've got some good ones. Do you have any off the top of your head that come to, come to I mind? I mean, so like I had when the volume was higher back when I was doing the office supplies, you know, there was stuff every day that I would get pissed about for sure. And, and I don't know how much of it was. Are you looking for like stuff where we won a deal against somebody else? Or are you looking for just like ridiculous? I, I think that that the purposes of this episode, it doesn't just, matter. The more ridiculous, the better. Yeah. Well, so in the, I mean, back then people would piss me off hardcore, like very easily. And I would just get back in the car and just be dog cussing them for however long until I got to the next business. And then, you know, I'd have to forget about it, but um, you know, as far as the insurance goes, the, the, the stuff that drives me crazy is like, I, I had a guy, I don't know, a month or two ago, it was sent to me from one of our payroll partners. The guy needs comp. Um, and then he wanted me, I talked to him, you know, broke down how comp worked cause he didn't really have any idea. Um, and, and then he's like, Hey, I want you to, uh, help me out on my GL, my auto, all that stuff too. So I got him quotes on all of it sent it to him. He's like, all right, cool. You know, this looks good. Let's go ahead and do it. And he calls me back like, I don't know, half hour later. He's like, Hey, um, (laughs) I see this, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I see this, I see this $200 thing on the workers comp, you know, the other guy I got a quote from, it's not on there. I'm like, well, yeah, that's just part of your premium. It, they draft it in order to set up the auto draft on your account, you know, so that you can do the pay as you go. It's, it's just part of your premium. It's not an additional fee. And he got into this huge argument with me about how he was getting charged 200 bucks versus not getting charged 200 bucks with the other guy. And I'm like, and and, and he was like, you know, positive that he was correct. I'm like, I got to be honest with you, dude. I, I completely disagree with everything that you're saying. And if you want to go with the other guy, after I've explained how workers comp works and all of this other stuff that you didn't know, go ahead, man. It's not worth my time. And then we just hung up, but I was, I was pissed after that. It was a massive waste of my time. I spent, you know, however long between all his different lines, half a day getting everything quoted, everything, you know, presented to him and explaining shit and answering his stupid questions that, you know, that, that kind of stuff just drives me crazy. Don't waste my time. If you don't, if, 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 if it's about price with you, let me know up front and I will just, I'll, I'll walk away right then and there. Cause it's not something I want to well, and the thing is, it's not even price at that standpoint, right? Because the price is the price; it's the same. And workers' comp, it's just a matter of the fact he didn't want. No, to dude, he had to pay two hundred dollars. It's not the same. Yeah, he did not want to pay that expense constant. Well, 
ridiculous. Sorry that you went through that. It seems like it's emotionally scarred. You <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm, I was just. I was just trying to think of like situations that pissed me off that other people could relate to while they're listening to this. Because I mean, yeah, like the the you know the fun, the good stories or the wins are cool or whatever. But I don't know. I feel like people want to hear. They want to well, hear I'm this. Gonna, I'm going to give them a story that made me feel awkward. And yeah. uh, those are those I, are good uh, too. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of them that I'll share on this episode, but. I will never forget this as long as I live at the very first agency that I worked at. um, I had a pocket of business over in Melbourne, which is on the other, other coast. For those of you who don't know, (laughs) it's uh, about two hours flat from Tampa. If you jump on I four and hit it right. And there's a lot of department of defense contractors over there. And I'd build a pretty good pipeline of them that I was working on placing with Chubb and had given that to our business development person who set all of our appointments and everything for us. And she had done a really good job, man. She had booked me solid for a day. And it's actually, this is way back when um, Annie and I first had gotten married before Ethan was born. So Annie also had, and it's before she had her job, where you know that she has now where yep. she's the national director of field operations she was actually just the rep for the same company for Florida mm-hmm. so, so we would go over and travel together and then I'd just stay in whatever hotel she booked for her travel so I didn't have to you know pay yeah. pay for the hotel or whatever and we would split our split our expenses she, she was with me for this trip but uh I will never forget this as long as I live <clears throat> I got to the meeting and the um lady that I was supposed to meet was not ready to meet. So the receptionist put me into the conference room and I, you know, had my stuff and I was preparing, I was sitting down making some notes on a legal pad and the lady came in and I just sort of glanced, you know, glanced up at her and she asked me if I wanted something to drink or whatever. I said, you know what, a glass, a a bottle of water would be great. So she said, sure thing. I'll, I'll run and grab it quick and then we'll be ready to talk. So I kept going. She came in sat down, slid the bottle of water across from me. And I looked up and she had two lazy eyes, <laughs> two. And listen, I have a sister who had a lazy eye, you know, when she was born and had to have surgery to correct it. I am in no way, shape or form making fun of anybody who has any kind of ocular issues, anything like that. I'm just telling you that when you're in sales and you look up it's very and distracting. The staring across from you is staring in two different directions, neither of which are at you. Ugh. You got a decision to make at that point. <laughs> you know, I could have gone left, I could have gone right, but instead, for forty stare at the minutes, nose, man. I stared at the bridge of her nose, <laughs> and she did not seem any worse for the wear. But I got to tell you, she's, I mean, at, she would have to be used to it, like because she was what middle age. Oh yeah, this lady was in her yeah. 40s. But I, I'm just thinking it had to have been like it wasn't even like normal eye contact in a meeting. It was like I was locked in on the just bridge of that staring day, right at the middle I of her face. I was like a pit bull on a bone. I was not letting go of that thing. <laughs> and what for whatever the reason, it must have worked because she never acted like anything was weird and she you know, thank God there weren't a lot of visual uh, visual aids in my presentation, but I was very uncomfortable for 45 minutes. Yeah. And 
you know, obviously my sarcastic self, I got back and I said, you know, do you think maybe we could put a prequalification on appointment setting? A, uh, you know, with a question that says, do you have any lazy eyes? If so, how many? I mean, just so you know what we're walking into. I mean, I, I thank you know, God I, I was a seasoned salesperson, man. I would have freaked out. Right. I mean, there's no preparing for a double lazy eye. It's it's just not something you're ready for. Now, there was another time when I was on an appointment with one of the partners in the firm who had gotten to me at the last minute and asked me if I, I'll, I'll never forget this one either. Um, asked me if I would um, go on a, a call with her for a high net worth personal lines account, but also owned a business because they had some questions about commercials. So I agreed to do it, but it ended up putting me late to a meeting that I had with an actual really good prospect that I really wanted to, to write. And it had taken me a little bit of time to get in there. And so finally our business development person booked the appointment. I had no idea who I was walking in to see or any of that, but I had messaged and called and let them know I was running behind, apologized profusely, you know, not what you want to do on a new business appointment, dude, I was coming across the Howard Franklin so hot. I may, have <laughs> caught, I may have caught air on the hump. I, mean, <laughs> I, I was easily doing a hundred to 120 on 275 this appointment. And I came in hot. What was, what was the vehicle those days? That was, um, that's back when I had my 328 with the sport package. So it was definitely <laughs> capable of doing it. He was definitely capable. Uh, I was the little brother to my car now, but um, I come in and I see this lady and I'm like, Oh God, no, please, (laughs) please tell me this is not this, this is not who I'm supposed to be seeing. That's waiting on me, like out in front of the office, bent over the rail, just banging a heater. Right. (laughs) And she's smoking a cowboy killer. And just ripping darts out front of the building. You could look at her and you, I just knew that nothing positive was getting ready to come from this. And I walk up, I walk up and she, she looks at me and she goes, you're the insurance guy. (laughs) And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, get your suite behind in my office. Oh my God. And I'm like, Oh God, this is only going south. So I go into her office, which smells like a bowling alley from 1976. <laughs> like the ceiling tiles are yellowed from cigarette smoke. I Hell look yeah. multiple full ashtrays on her desk. So, Ugh. hey, why are you even standing outside smoking? It's obvious it's natural in your habitat in here. Right. So she comes in and she sits across from me and immediately lights up another Jeez. just just crushing she's one of these people that when she draw down on the when she drew down on the cigarette like half of it disappeared and turned into <laughs> oh red drag Ugh. oh it's horrible that's horrendous and so she looks at me she lights her cigarette and of course people who smoke like that too you know they they don't use any hands when they smoke right no. just, it was just dangling and bouncing on her lip with every word she said oh. And she goes, I'm going to tell you right now, I want to talk to you about insurance like I want to have another hemorrhoid surgery. Oh, my God. What? And I looked, I looked at her and I said, well, that makes two of us. So let's get this <laughs> over as quick as we can. Seriously. 
Dude, that's and a, I, up, I don't I think actually, I I don't think I've heard that story before. I actually ended up writing that account, but it was she was one of the grossest people Ugh. I've ever had to you know it, it almost Her voice sounds me, like the uh the lady it, from Monsters Inc. No, Mike Wazowski. <laughs> no, no, you know who she was? She was like the heavier um taller version of the landlord from Kingpin. Oof. The gross lady? That's rough. She, oh, and that's all I could think about was I got to hope this lady doesn't somehow get me onto the ground and pin me down because I can't handle cigarette breath all day. There were gross places like that that I would walk into all the time. Um, There was this place off of, uh, and obviously you could tell like when people were smoking in there, but there, there was, um, there was this building off of, I think. Broadway or seventh down in like the Ebor area. I don't know at which point it transitions over. I can't remember maybe when it crosses 56 or something like that, but or 50th street, whatever. doesn't matter. There was this random building next to a client of mine. It was a catering company. This building, it, it looked like it could have been um, almost like an executive suite situation. And the, you know, on the, on the, on the glass doors, it just said, whatever like the name of the, the building was. I was like, okay. So I walk in there. I'm like, hello. And you know, there's nobody, nobody around. It's just like, like some of the hallways are kind of dim, like flickering lights. It was, um, it was very odd. And as I'm, I'm walking through, I'm, I'm like, these look like rooms. Like I, I didn't know if I was in like a crack house, a whorehouse, a hostel. <laughs> it very well could have been, man. There was like, I, I, there was one door that was closed. I could see that there was like TV on underneath the door. And then and one like was wide open movie. bag of Cheetos on the ground with a cut, with a cot just sitting on the, on the ground, like a, just a, like a twin mattress just sitting. It was disgusting in there. So I, I just, I just used my better judgment and, and departed from that building. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. I uh, wasn't sure what, what was happening there. Anytime. I walk into a building that is nondescript and suspicious and there is the reflection of a TV coming out from under the door. I'm out. Yeah. Sorry, it, um, it was sketchy, man, but Hey dude, that's how we had, we had to roll. We had to hit every door. That was just, that was just the deal. Um, the door was broken that day, but I should, yeah, I should have known better, I guess. in in Ebor. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'll tell you a good lesson I learned one time. This goes back to my old days of selling satellite dishes in West Virginia. And, <laughs> in the holla. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, this is I, – I still – I mean, I find myself referring back to this even today. Like I had this happen, you know, and I'll, I'll bring it full circle when I tell the story. But um, it, up there, 60% of the state didn't have any cable. So – like for me, all I had to do was go and find the hollers that had no cable and go door to door. And I actually talk about this in the forward to the extra two minutes because it's one of the first, it's the first real outside sales job that I had. But I created what we called a cable interest survey. So my whole thing was I would go and have a clipboard and I would show up at the door. I was, hey man, you interested in cable? <laughs> Yeah, say, hey, I just want to touch base. My name's David. I'm with CableView, and I uh, we're conducting a cable interest survey in your area to find out if families like yours would be interested in supplying, uh, signing up for cable should we make the decision to bring it to your area. 
uh, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And, you know, obviously they were all into that. Yeah. So, you know, I would always always start with, do you have cable? Yes or no? No. Uh, Do you go to the movies? Yes. How many times a month do you go to the movies? How much do you spend on refreshments when when you're there? Do you rent videos? Do you get pizza on Friday nights when you rent the videos? And all of this stuff. And so basically what I was doing was building my business case to show them how much money they were throwing away on entertainment so that when I came in and showed them how much they could have this big six and a half foot satellite dish for every month, that it was just going to be a no brainer. So like these people, I would have them, some of them are spending like 150, 200 bucks a month and I could get them the platinum package for 69.99. You know, it, it was like, I didn't even bother. Done showing, deal. Yeah. I never even bothered showing the smaller um, packages because hell no, and, not if they're spending a hundred plus dollars a month. Doesn't even make yeah. sense. A, A, I, I got $100 or more in commission in addition to my normal commission uh, if I sold the platinum package. And B, what's the point? Like once you go platinum, you're never going back. No. So my the biggest issue with all of that was getting them approved for the financing. Right. Because it was a, a financing account on the dish and then you put your package on there. So – I, the moral of the story for me was when I, I pulled up to a place one time and it was a trailer and it was in bad shape. Like it didn't have the skirt underneath the trailer. So Mm -hmm. you could see all of the plumbing or lack thereof. And like, it was just, this place was a cesspool. And I, you know, I reflect back on some of the places where I've conducted business at kitchen tables and, like it really could be a, a really bad movie, but um, <laughs> I went in and this guy had a ridiculously expensive brand new truck in the driveway. Obviously, they always do. And so I told him Classic. when we were in there, I'm like, "Look, man, I said I can do this deal, but I just I don't know that I can get you the financing that you need." And he looked at me, and goes, "What do you mean, get me the financing? Who said anything about financing? I'll pay cash. How much is it?" And goes into his bedroom. And comes out with one of those old British flag Reebok boxes yes. that had just like full of hundred dollar bills. It's awesome. And you know, it was like a sixty five hundred dollar deal. And he, so he he proceeds to count out the money. He said, "I'll, I'll pay cash." And I say, "Well, hold on. You know, they'll collect the money on the day they come for install and everything. I'll just let them know that's how you plan on doing it." And I told myself that day, I said, "I will never ever allow myself to pre qualify somebody." Yep to buy my product based on what I think I, I should, I should, I'll never do it again. I, yep. I'm lucky I got the deal done. So, well, uh, so that's one of the reasons I walked into that place was like, I mean, I learned pretty early on, you can't prejudge, you know, based on, on what the place looks like, because some of the places I would walk into were they would spend thousands on their office supplies. So I, I completely get that. Well, and the thing is, so like three years ago, this was before you were at Florida Risk. So yeah, it was definitely three or four years ago. I um I got a call from from Hot Rod actually, who told me he had an account he wanted me to go talk to. Mm-hmm. And um it was over in Tarpon Springs and I was in Valrico and I'm going online and doing my research and they've only got like eleven employees and I'm thinking, dude, I'm not driving an hour and fifteen minutes. To go call on this. This is absurd. Don't don't expect me to do this. And um, I was ready to call the people and cancel the appointment and just thank them for the opportunity, but let them know that 
I probably wasn't going to be a good fit. And, and for whatever reason, the pre-qualification thing flashed through my head. Right. And I said, you know what? I made a commitment to myself all those years ago. I would never pre-qualify anybody again. A lead is a lead is a lead. I'm going to go work this thing. And dude, I pulled in and they only had 11 employees but they were a federal contractor for the refurbishment of bridges for the mm-hmm. DOD. And yep. it ended up being like the manual premium on the workers comp is almost a million dollars. Right. Yeah. And, that's crazy, man. And I ended up, I ended up going in and, and talking with them. We hit it off. And I still represent them today. I st- we still place that business yep. today. It's crazy. And I, it, you know, I, I go, who, you know, if I would not have remembered that I said I'd never do that again, I probably would have missed out on what is a significant on a huge account. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. One, now, one of my favorite things was always uh, getting offered jobs in the field. That was great. That used to happen on a daily basis. I'd go in and pitch somebody. And they'd be sitting there and they wouldn't really answer my questions about the supplies or anything that they, they you know, might need that I could sell them. And they'd start asking me, what, uh, what are they paying you over there? You know, you happy, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to bring some people on just like you, blah, blah. And, you know, most of the time it was like for a shitty, you know, call center position, which obviously is not something that is going to, uh, be a good fit for me. But yeah, that was, that was always, it was kind of, uh, I guess like a compliment, but also at the same time, it's just like, dude, come on, man. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to make some money here and sell you some stuff. Like <laughs> I don't dude, need a job. I, that happened to me a lot when I did the satellite dish stuff too, because yeah. I would, I, I'll never forget. I had, I had a guy, um, I went on a call one time and I, I was on my A game. I'm not even going to pretend like I wasn't. I, I freaking nailed it. I mean, I, he started out, he threw up objections. I overcame the objections. I moved him from the base unit all the way up to the Mac daddy with all of the programming and everything. And we get to the end of it. And he's like, dude, he goes, you literally handled every objection that I had flawlessly. I would love for you to come and sell windows and siding for me door to door. And I told Sounds him, awesome. That sounds like the worst job ever. There's <laughs> no way in the world. Dude, I, I actually did windows and doors uh, in college. I did I, residential um, hurricane-proof windows and doors, canvassing neighborhoods in Temple Terrace, like around the USF you know, college area at night. Um, not a super, uh, I guess, easy place to do that. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, I didn't... <laughs> We just had like this little pitch that we would roll up to people's houses like eight o'clock at night, knock on their door, trying to get them, trying to set up an appointment for our, w- whatever their title was to yes, come the out. Regional, the regional manager yeah. looking for a showcase home in your neighborhood. And- yeah, exactly. And um, huh. I mean, the commission was pretty fat on it, but it was just like, you didn't really get very many hits. So it was, it was, <laughs> that was, a. I did not work there very long. The satellite dish game was solid, man. I did really, really well in that. I was like 20 at the time. I may not even have been 21 yet. And um, the way that the deal worked is you got 
Um, well, the satellites were probably like, I mean, that was like the, the thing back then. Like that was like the new rage, wasn't right it? Before, this is right before the, the what's now. In the early, the early sixties, right? Yeah. In the early sixties. <laughs> yeah. This is right. Yeah. No, this is the early nineties though. Yeah. Might as well have been the early sixties. You were still changing your diapers back then. Hell yeah. Um, but, uh, your first deal, you got 250 bucks commission. Then your second deal, you got 300, then 350, and it would go all the way up to 500. Mm-hmm. And then it, this is on a weekly basis. And then once you hit 500, you just kept getting 500. But if you sold per the plat- deal, yeah. Nice. And then if you sold the platinum package, you got an additional 50 or $100 bonus on it. So that's some coin as a 20 year old oh, in dude, the early 90s. I, I, listen, I made $55,000. <laughs> From how much Mark. Velveeta mac and cheese were you crushing then, dude? I was so far out of the Velveeta <laughs> realm at that point. I I made fifty five grand from like March or April to the beginning of October, and then I just took off and left town, and I didn't work again. Like I never even went back. That's awesome. Like for two years, I lived off of that fifty five thousand. <laughs> That's so good. Great. Yeah, it's some of the stupid stuff that we do when we're younger, man. But right. yeah, well, I mean that's back. <sighs> I could go into a whole lot of crazy stuff from that, but I mean, I thought you were going to talk about how you, how you got the gun pulled on you in the West Virginia holler. There was, yeah, you know, a lot of lessons to be learned in the hollers of West Virginia. One of them is what it sounds like when a 12 gauge is getting racked. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they're not afeard to fire the old warning shot up there. So that, uh, that definitely happened. And, uh, I'm proud to say I did not soil my britches. (laughs) <laughs> but I did, uh, I did learn how to defuse a gentleman with a 12 gauge very quickly. And, uh, there you go. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. I, you know, then there was a time, <laughs> this is, I'm going to leave with this one, but there, there was a time where <laughs> we were in a, uh, we were in a bar at night after we had been out on the road all day. And, uh, I'm sitting there next to this dude and he's talking to the waitress and he's like got a, a buck knife. Like everybody has a buck knife up there. So it's like normal, but right. he's got this buck knife and he's like, I don't know. He's probably like picking his fingernails with it or something <laughs> truthfully, but she's asking and he's like talking about this girl and how she left him. And you know, he was so heartbroken and da 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 da. The next thing you know, he takes the buck knife and just goes, I want to kill her and just starts jamming it into his leg. Jeez. And the lady that was the bartender passed out. Like she thought, <laughs> she thought he was like stabbing his leg. The dude unscrews his leg. It was a wooden leg. He oh was my god! With her, he sits it up on the counter, reaches over, fills it up with beer, and starts drinking <laughs> out of it. Like you can't make this up, man. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, so that was another fun one. And then it turns out that this guy was actually, he worked as a supplier for the company that we bought Coax Cable from or something like that. I don't know. Of course he was. It was crazy. Well, listen, I hope everybody enjoyed the war stories. That's a little sample of some of the reason I'm as warped as I am at this point. We'll catch (laughs) you guys on the flip side. See you. 
You've been listening to Power Producers Shop Talk. You can follow us at the Power Producers Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to take your game to the next level, check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit Amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book, The Extra Two Minutes. 